Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Amen. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to the book of Jonah. Jonah, we'll look and start in chapter 1. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. We're excited that they can head off and have a great teacher, Miss Emily this morning is teaching them, right? Yeah, have a good time. We'll pray for you here in just a moment. We'll pray for Emily and the children and uh, look forward to hearing about what they're gonna learn and all that's gonna go on. Um, before we pray and before we read the word, let me encourage you, I've talked uh, early on about these, but let me, if you're looking for other resources for the book of Jonah, let me highly encourage you um, that you can, um, look at these two. One is by Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. It's called The Prodigal Prophet, and, uh, and that's been a great resource. And then also Anthony Carter, uh, it says Running from Mercy. And so these two books have been helpful to me as I've gone through this study. And let me encourage you, if you um, want something more to help uh, dig in and to read and to learn, uh, those are two great tools uh, that I think would be helpful for you. I think it's about uh, it's nice to have tools, right? We have so many great tools today. I, I, I believe in some ways we have more tools today to help us in our faith than, uh, than the generations before. When you think about what you have uh, on your electronic device, that you have access to so much. Um, I loved sitting in class this morning uh, with Rick. And, and we were just reading through Romans chapter 1. And there I was, and I had uh, like three different translations I was reading through. Right there, right on my iPad that I could just read. And uh, I think sometimes, um, sometimes we fail to use those resources. Other times we get bogged down in, in, uh, in those. Um, and so one of the things that I want to do, even as we have all these resources, there's nothing like the Word of God. All right, these books and uh, commentaries and other things are great. They help, they can help us understand the word better, but there's nothing uh, that can replace the word of God. Uh, God tells us that his word is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so while there's a lot of great books that I've read in my lifetime, there is no other book like the book that you have before you, whether it's on your electronic form or whether you have the hard copy. And so I'm excited to read uh, with you this whole book. We're going to read through the whole book of Jonah. You say, oh, man, and then he's going to try to preach after that. That's what my son's saying right now. But it's only four chapters, okay, and it's not long. But I think it's important for us as we think about the Word of God to to have that time of, of really reading through the entirety of it. So uh, I just got done reading through the Gospels and reading through that in my own devotional time. And it was good just to read large, big chunks at a one sitting. And I would encourage you to do that. Sometimes we, God uses a verse or God can use a couple verses, but I think it's really valuable for us as we learn the Word of God and what God wants that we, that we challenge ourselves to, to not be happy with just a verse or two verses or, God, what do you have for me today in this verse? But to also be willing to say, okay, I'm going to set aside time to read through this large section uh, of the word. So let me encourage you to do that. We're going to dig in now. Jonah chapter 1, I'm going to read. And uh, before we do that, let's pray and let's ask God's help um, to open our eyes. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to read it. 
Thank you for the great opportunity that you've given us. You've entrusted us with your word. Lord, there are people around this globe who have died for your word, who have died for the gospel, who have, who have died trying to get the word in other people's hands. And yet, Lord, for us, we have so many resources. We have access to the word in so many different ways, so many different translations. You have blessed us. And yet, Lord, I feel like there's times for me that, that I still come up with excuses of not reading it, of not following you, of not wanting to be in it. And, and Lord, I'm sure that there are those who sit here this morning who are overwhelmed with that, that thought that, Lord, I need to be in your word more. Lord, I'm sorry that, that I have not set aside that time. Lord, may we not be uh, swallowed up in guilt, but Lord, may our hearts be challenged and may we be motivated by your spirit. May you guide us and direct us and help us to see uh, not only the importance, but then to take the steps that we need to, to be in your word. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that as we read through this active and alive word from you, Lord, that, that you would help us to see you. We want to see you in a, in a new light. We want to see Lord, you and how much you love us and how much you care for us and what your desire is for us as we walk the face of this earth. So, Lord, thank you for this time. May you work in a powerful and great way. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jonah chapter 1, let's read it together, okay? It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we may not perish." And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea in the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it has pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head and the roots of the mountains. I went down to the dry land. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope and steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation, and he published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? Why? This is why I made haste 
to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head and to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? We see here a lot of great things, and we've gone over a lot as we've walked through the book. I hope for you as you see and, and hear the wholeness of it that it just brings back some of those things we've talked about. Um, as, as I look at the bigness of this, there's a few things that, that I want to help us um, and challenge us to look at this morning. Um, one of the things that stood out as we look at the bigness of this, uh, the fullness of this, uh, this book is that God made appointments with Jonah. There's a term here, it's a Hebrew term. Um, it's spelled M-A-N-A-H in our English. Um, but in the Hebrew, it's called, it, it's defined as prepared or provided. Um, in, in Psalm 147 verse 4, it's the same term that's used that, that God determined um, in Daniel, in the story of Daniel, when Daniel uh, was placed in different things and, and how God appointed different people, Daniel 1, 5, verses 10, and verses 11 as well, that term uh, for appoint, appointment is appointed, where God appointed. And then, uh, and then in Psalm 90, verse 12, uh, it's used as a term to, in, in English, defined as a number, to number. God numbered. When we look at this text and how it's used here in Jonah, we see that God appointed, and he appointed several different things. Um, God appointed a fish. God appointed a plant. God appointed a worm. God appointed an east wind. I, I know that often we, we can say this, but do you, do you really believe in your 
mind, but also in your heart. Do you believe in your heart that God doesn't make any mistakes? That as God appoints different people and different things in our lives, that those aren't mistakes. Here we have a story of a man who makes some bad choices, right? Uh, he, he, uh, that, that's why we're probably a little bit uncomfortable in some sense. Uh, we can be very judgmental when we look at Jonah and say, oh man, can you believe that he had that kind of attitude? Can you believe he ran away when God was talking to him? Can you believe that he did this? No, we're the same way. And oftentimes we'll look at even our mistakes and we'll say, oh, I made that mistake and that's why this is happening. While that is true, God is in control of all things. So in this sense where we see, I think the, the writer is helping the nation of Israel. Remember, they're getting this letter, all right, during this Old Testament time frame where God is helping them to see who he is. I think this is a letter for the nation of Israel in the time of persecution, in the time of hardship, when, when as a nation they're having other nations that are coming and defeating them and tearing them down. He wants them to see, even in spite of your bad choices, even in spite of whatever uh, uh, attitude that you may have, God appoints things and has a plan. God wants to show that he is the lover of people. That's the big picture here. It is not just that God is the lover of Israel. God is also the lover of all nations. It shows us the bigness of God's heart. We talked about that a few weeks back. But in this today, we see that God appointed God appointed the fish. Even in spite of Jonah's horrible mistake of trying to run away, God appointed that fish there because he wanted Jonah to see who he was. And here, God appoints a plant so that as Jonah is sulking, having his little pity party, God provides a plant. And God isn't going to leave him there just like God doesn't leave you where you are, even in our our, our selfishness, even in our sinfulness, that God pursues us. And in one of the books, running after us with mercy, God's running after Jonah and mercy and says, hey, let me show you this plant. Let me show you my goodness. And so he gives him the shade. But Jonah's whole joy and his satisfaction is found in the plant and not in the great God who has spoken to him. Remember who Jonah is. He's a prophet. God has spoken to Jonah. Jonah is to be that mouthpiece for him. And Jonah doesn't like the way life is going. And here he is. And yet God appoints a worm. Because he doesn't want Jonah to stay there. He appoints a worm to try to bring him back to himself. To say, Jonah, I don't want you to stay there. I don't want you to stay bitter and mad and find joy in something that isn't going to give you fulfillment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you who you really are. And so in that, here's the worm. And then he provides not just the sun. What does God appoint? He appoints a scorching east wind that comes along and makes it more miserable. Isn't that a great God? 
Isn't that the kind of God you want to serve and worship? You say, no, I, I want life easy. I want life good. But notice it's not about Jonah's well-being, the physical well-being. It's about Jonah's spiritual well-being. It's about his heart and his mind and his eyes that he would see who God really is. That he would see the compassion that God has for these Ninevites. And not just the adults. But what about the 120,000 that don't know their right from their left? That God would have compassion upon them? And also the cattle? Here is God who wants to show who he is. And so in this, uh, um, we see God making these appointments. And I think as he makes these appointments, it's about Jonah coming to realize who is God. And so in your life, you have to answer that. And that's a continual question. I don't think that's a one intellectual answer that we give. But who is God? To me, that should be, that's something I continue to learn because God is so big that I cannot, in, in my finite, limited perspective, I cannot grasp the bigness of God. And I probably won't here on earth. But as I grow and I walk with him, he starts and he continues to reveal more and more of who he is. And so I ask you today, you need to ask yourself, who is God? Who is he to you? Here, God in the end of this story, he leaves us on that edge. We don't know what happens to Jonah, but we know what happens to the people of Nineveh in this time. God saves them and relents from destroying them. He has compassion. We see that God is a God of compassion. And yet, should not God have shown more compassion to Jonah? Here's a man who was in the belly of the fish and probably lost all of his hair and he lost all of his skin color to be able to help him in the sun and yet what does God do? God orchestrates a scorching east wind. Why? Why would God allow difficulty to happen? That's because God wants to see he wants us to see through all the things that we take comfort in, all the things that we take pride in, all the things that we think that really matter, God wants us to see him. He wants us to know him. We also see in this the mercy of God. We see the mercy of God reaching to those people who don't deserve it. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Who is that person in your life that you know and that in your mind you think, I don't know if that person deserves the mercy of God? That Sunday, somebody came up to walk, walked up and asked me, well, what do you think about the murderers? What do you think about this person who lived this way? Do they deserve the mercy of God? This is what I know. I don't deserve the mercy of God. And let me, let me let you in on a secret. 
you don't deserve the mercy of God. You don't deserve it. You can go ahead, puff out your chest, say, yes, I do. You don't know who I am, Pastor Aaron. I deserve God's love and his grace and his forgiveness. No, you know what we deserve? We deserve an eternal separation from the holy and perfect and just God. That's what we deserve. We deserve to be punished for all of eternity. Oh, not me. I'm not that bad. No, you are. And I hope that one day, if you have that attitude right now, I hope that one day you'll wake up and you'll realize that you are that bad. Because we need to see we are not good in and of ourselves. We are not right in and of ourselves. There's only one who is right, and that's the hope of the gospel. That's the good news that Paul preaches and we talked about in our class this morning in Romans. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why? It's the good news for all because we don't deserve God's righteousness. God makes us right. Not because we do anything but because of faith. It's because of God's grace and through his grace that we can believe and have the opportunity through faith to accept something that we don't deserve. Did the Ninevites deserve God's mercy? Put yourself in the nation of Israel as they're reading this. They go to the temple, they go to, go to gather together. They're, somebody pulls out the scrolls and starts reading Jonah. What goes on in their minds? These are barbarians. These are salvages and not in a good way like that is used today. If you don't know what that means, then talk to some of the young people. They've changed if you're a salvage, it means you do something really cool. Not back then. <laughs> a savage. Savage, that's it. You're a savage. These are cruel people. These are the enemies of Israel. And they're reading this about how God is showing mercy to them. Folks, this must motivate us. This must help open our eyes to realize that God loves not just us, God doesn't just love the United States of America. God doesn't just love the nation of Israel. God loves and wants to show mercy to all people around the globe. Why is that? Because we read throughout scripture that man is made in his image. And so why would I begin to think that I'm so much better, and I'm so conceited and full of pride and arrogance to think that I am something more than any other man or woman? Come on. The mercy of God reaching to those who don't deserve it and that all nations should hear the gospel, the good news. We talk about who, who is God. We talk about the mercy of God. We talk about, uh, we see and hear the identity of who Jonah was and what was most important to him. 
you have to ask yourself not only who is God, but who are you and what is of most importance to you. Is it your livelihood? Is it your comfort? It is, is it you achieving your plan for your life? I don't think this was Jonah's plan for his life. Jonah's plan was to help the king out and to be there to be a leader and to call Israel back to God. But God had other plans. What's God's plan for your life? Which goes to this last part. And I think this is, this is where we walk away with the difference. This is how we live it. I believe it's as simple as this. That we need to walk with and that we need to enjoy Jesus. This isn't about a book where we read it and we say, you know what? I need to do better than Jonah. It's not about morality. It's not about getting things right. It's actually about knowing who God is and walking with him and loving him more every single day. And I think that in some ways that's where we've missed the boat. Where we think that it's another thing that we've got to do. It's another rule that I've got to keep. It's another list that I've got to make sure that I do. I've got to make sure I've dressed properly. I've got to make sure I eat properly. I've got to make sure. And before you know it, you've got all these lists and all these things that you can't even keep. Jesus came to fulfill the law. And the law was the tutor that showed us that we fall short of the perfect and holy God. And in that, the good news, the gospel message is that Jesus came and that he suffered and died on a cross. He was buried and he rose again three days later, extending to us his righteousness. That punishment was paid in full. There wasn't anything that had to be added to it. And so why do we today live life in such a way that adds to the gospel? People say, well, yeah, I believe by faith, but... I've got to do this, or I, I believe you have to. No, the gospel is very simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. People say, well, I've, there's some people who will believe and then do whatever they want to do. Then that's between them and the Lord, and the Lord knows their heart. Our faith should be shown by our works, but it's not our works that save us. Our faith is where we trust in Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection is enough. That it is enough that when I go on my deathbed and that, that I'm laying there, that I have hope, that I have life for eternity because I'm sitting there, I'm laying there knowing there is a day where I will breathe my last breath, but I know for certainty that I'll spend eternity with him. Why? Not because I did enough good things. Not because I was a good husband or a good father. I have hope laying on my deathbed because Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was enough. Is that you? There are too many people that I hear, oh, I just don't know, or I just hope I did enough. You can't do enough. So what is our motivation of living each day? It's not doing more good deeds. Our motivation of every single day living 
is realizing the cost of the gospel and knowing the God who provided that for us. To love him and to walk with him and to say, you are my priority. It's not moralism. It's not doing better or doing things better. It is enjoying the life that Jesus gives us. It's, it's looking and seeing he extended mercy to me. He ex extended forgiveness and love and grace. He gives us peace. And yet we see through this book a God who says, I, I love you so much and I love the people of the world so much that I'm not going to allow you to casually live your life however you want to live it. I will be pursuing you because I want the nations to know that I am a God of mercy and a God of love, a God who is willing to forgive. In the days ahead, I don't know what your walk with Jesus looks like, but let me encourage you to do something. And, and some of you may take this up, some of you may not, but let me encourage you to do something, even if it's for a couple days. It's not just something else to do. I don't want to add a list. But let me encourage you, as you walk with Jesus in the next week or the next year, that you would maybe put some place in a journal or your electronic device that you would pull out a page and just say, okay, I'm going to dedicate this to this. And that you would answer these two things. It's really one sentence. It says, today I see, and then write it out. Today I see God's mercy. Today I see God's wonderful creation. Today I see, what is it? As you read God's word and you say, you know what, today, this is what I see in here. And then a follow-up to that is, today I see this. Because of this, I will, and there's a follow-up, because I believe that faith calls us to action, okay? Faith doesn't just leave us sitting here in wonder and amazement of who God is. Faith calls us to action. Faith says God is amazing, and he is awesome, and he's powerful, and he's so gracious, and he's forgiving me of my sin, but it isn't just that. As we walk through the New Testament, the New Testament isn't just about a personal faith. We have made it in America, especially in our culture, our faith has become very personal. In the New Testament, we don't see that. Start reading through it and you'll see faith was a very public thing. It was the way we lived life. And it's what God calls us to do today. Say, well, pastor, I can't do that in my life. Because there's a few things you don't talk about, right? You can talk about the weather, you talk about sports, but you don't talk about religion, and you don't talk about politics. Who made up that rule? Come on. Well, Pastor, you don't know my family. You don't know my coworkers. I'm not saying you go in there with your sword flaming and you're like, let me tell you about. God has given me a great platform, and I'm so thankful that I have the opportunity to, to be in one of our public schools here. And if I walked in there 
as a preacher, bringing my Bible, flailing it around, I, I'm not going to win people. But it's the subtle, the little ways of showing the love of Jesus Christ. And it's not shying away when the doors are opened. It's praying for those doors and then walking through them. That when somebody's having a hard time, that you can share with them how you're okay. What gives you peace? Well, you know what? Jesus has done this for me. You know what? I've seen God work in this way. And I have great hope. It's not being afraid to live life and to be able to share about the Lord. Jonah didn't want to share. Jonah knew what God was going to do. Sometimes as we share, people don't respond real well. And it's almost the flip here. Where we share Jesus and we're like, Lord, I told you they were going to get mad. I told you, Lord, I knew what kind of people they are. We don't know what God's going to do. We don't know how God may use that seed that he's planted. But God has called us to do this. He's called us to share. And to live our lives in such a way that he can shine through us. And so in that, today I see, and because of this, I will give him praise. I will pray for those people. I will give of my time. I will, there's, it's endless. But I want to challenge you, encourage you to do that. Because I think if we do that, if we, if we just take that simple phrase and fill those in, we'll start to see God revealing himself and working through us in very real and tangible ways. Where when then we start to question and say, I don't know what God's will. I don't, I don't know what God wants for me. Go back. Look and see what God is revealing to you. Look how he's working in you. Look what he's asking you to do. We, we are stiff-necked people. Amen? Are you? You willing to admit that? So we need to be willing to take some time and set aside and say, Lord, I, I need to meet with you. And we open up his word and we pray and talk with him. And then we journal it and we write it down and say, today I see this, God. You're revealing this to me today. And because of that, I feel that you want me to. I will do this. I will, I will say this or I will have this kind of heart. That's the action that we need. It's not about Hear, hear me right. It's not about just doing our devotions. It's not just about reading the Bible. It's about, it's about our God. It's about meeting with a real person who loves us so much. It's about walking with him and enjoying every day the Lord gives us even if that means a scorching east wind that causes us to question our very lives. Because maybe, just maybe, in those moments, God will reveal a part to us of who he is that we've never seen before. Will you pray with me, Lord? Thank you. 
for the way you provide and the way that you orchestrate and oversee each one of our lives. Thank you for the book of Jonah and all that we've been able to learn from it. And I pray, Lord, that today and even the days ahead, we will be people who will walk with you, meaning that we're meeting with you, meaning that we're open in your word. We're spending time with you, learning and hearing from you and your word, spending time in the stillness of a day to hear your voice and your spirit work in us to be willing to pray and to cry out our heart, but also to be willing to pray and listen to yours. Help us to see. And as we write those things down and the challenge has been placed ahead of us, Lord, for these, let's just say, let's these next 30 days, Lord, for the next 30 days that we will see you in a whole new way. And because of that, you will call us to respond in new ways, in exciting ways, even old ways, Lord, that we've lost. Thank you for your patience with us. We are a stubborn and stiff-necked people. Please forgive us for our selfishness, for pursuing our own righteousness. Help us to realize that you've given us all that we need. That through Christ and his righteousness, we have an eternal relationship with you. Oh, how amazing that is. And how we need you more and more every day, though. Help us not to be content or happy with where we are in our faith walk, Lord. Draw us closer to you. We need you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.